Now, the trouble's with your attitude. You don't pay enough attention in class. You don't do enough work outside of it. I tell you right now that unless you get over your lazy habits and come up to the standards I've set for this class, many of you will have the pleasure of repeating this course next semester. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. So, boss man, I'm just curious. Do you speak any other languages? Uh, I'd like to say I speak the language of love, but I'm sure my <laughs> girlfriend would disagree with that. I'm going to take that as a no. <laughs> yeah, that's a no. I've been horrible at learning other languages. I can hardly speak English, as many of the podcast listeners are so kind to point out on an occasional basis when I mangle it. Today on the program, I've interviewed someone who's a specialist in helping people learn languages. Her name is Shana Oliveira, and she runs a company called Espresso English. Now, if you're a fan of the show, you might remember that Shana was on about a year and a half ago in an episode called, Is It Getting Harder to Grow a Successful Business Selling Info Products? That episode, Ian, was one of the most popular of all time. I think it inspired a lot of listeners to take their expertise online. And, you know, one of the interesting things that Shana said in that episode is the fact that there's a lot of competition in these niches does not mean that you can't make a great living from them. I mean, she's in the English speaking niche. Obviously, it's massive. Shana is also, Dan, an amazing member of our community, the Dynamite Circle, where she is a moderator. Yeah. And she contributes a lot there. And so we're thankful for that. And we're thankful to have her on the show as well. She's coming to our Barcelona event to sit on a panel about info products. And specifically, she's going to be talking about some of the topics we cover in today's episode, including some issues about pricing, positioning, and marketing info products. I just want to say this about languages, Dan, and then I want to get your thoughts on it too. So there's been a couple times in my life, especially when I'm traveling, when it's just like, it's so amazing to be able to speak the language of wherever you're at. I remember this one specific story. I was down in Mexico and we were standing in the middle of nowhere, like pretty far off the road. And we wanted to get to the cenote and we didn't know how to do it. And luckily my friend that I was with knew how to speak Spanish. We ended up wrangling in this guy who they called the general to take us on this amazing (laughs) horseback tour, kind of back to the cenote. And it would have never happened because this guy wasn't actually running a legitimate business. He just talked his way into in Spanish and getting us on this little mini tour. It's those special experiences, you know, when you're traveling in a foreign land that it's invaluable to be able to speak these languages. But one of the problems that I've run into, and this is probably just me being lazy. I feel like if I was exclusively traveling in South America or Spanish-speaking countries, it would be very valuable for me to invest in something like that. I don't feel like I'm smart enough to invest in the five languages that I would need based on my favorite (laughs) continents. So I kind of just like given up on it. The other thing is that I feel like in five to 10 years, this problem is going to be solved. I don't know if you've like seen some of these technologies that people have been working on, but basically little thing that goes into your ear, listens, and then translates for you. I think that that's going to be a real possibility here in the future. And so I'm just like throwing my hands up saying, hopefully I'll be there for that. Otherwise, I'll just carry around a translator with me. I do the same thing every time the waiter brings around the dessert tray, boss man. (laughs) I just like, look, this problem is going to be solved in 10 years. So I'm going to have the chocolate cake. (laughs) 
<laughs> Look, me and you are in the same boat. I'm not the best with languages either. Kind of informally started off our conversation there. So just a little bit of background on Shana before we jump into it. When she originally moved to Brazil, she went there to be a, a English as a second language teacher. What she ended up doing was taking that skill set and turning it into Espresso English, her online business, which now allows her to live anywhere in the world. And it's since turned into a, a six-figure business. So we're going to explore all that and hopefully some more advanced tactics and a little bit more of the story down the line, the things that Shana's done over the last year and a half. So if you listen to the first interview with Shana, hopefully this can work as a compliment. But first, I was just curious about languages, Ian. So I asked her how long she felt like it should take a student to learn a language and maybe get some insight into why people like me and you are so bad at it. You can do it pretty fast if you put in the hours. And by put in the hours, I mean you're studying every day and you're getting some practice, whether that's in country, you know, so you're in a place where the language is spoken and, you know, you know two sentences, but you go out and use them at the supermarket. Or if you're not in the country, finding a conversation partner online with whom you can practice, even if you have very broken, limited language, you're putting what you're studying into practice. And so those two things together, the study and the practice, that's what gives you the best chance of becoming at least functional in the language. How many hours per day and like at what week or month would traditionally a student have a breakthrough in terms of communicating? Hmm. It's hard to say this because it's been so long since I learned my second language, but watching my husband learn English from scratch in London, it took him about, I think, two to three months to get past that initial stage of I can't say anything and begin to be able to communicate. Interesting. And what do you see as like the talent differential? I kind of have this in my mind that like there's certain people that are just awesome at learning languages and I'm not one of them. No, it's not a talent differential at all. Okay, so think of it like some people do have a natural advantage, have a gift for picking it up. But even those who don't can absolutely overcome it by the dedication. I'll give you an example. I had a student here in Brazil who actually had a speech impediment in Portuguese. So in his native language, he wasn't able to talk clearly. And so English was just a mess for him. And he really did not have the gift. He did not pick it up quickly. But he took class with me four days a week. And he would, on his own initiative, do more homework than I had assigned. And by the time we finished working together, I worked with him for maybe six or eight months. He had gone from very garbled, impossible to understand English to being able to hold a conversation and being able to work with an English-speaking manager. And so he was coming from a place of negative talent, but just through the dedication, every single day he'd do his homework, he'd work on his listening, even though it was frustrating, and he was able to make excellent progress. I think it's fascinating to hear Shana's insights on how to learn languages, but that's not why we invited her to the show this week. When we last spoke to Shana, the conversation started with this idea of how can you still make money selling information online when there's so much free information out there and there's so much competition? So to start our conversation about business, I thought it would be interesting to touch base with her again about that idea of how is it still possible to make a great living selling info products online? 
maybe just the perspective that the reason info products are never going to go extinct is because each person who teaches, because what an info product is, is essentially you teaching or you instructing. There are as many perspectives as there are people on the earth, right? Every single person you meet is going to have a different way of seeing things, presenting things. And so that's why we're never going to run out of books to publish. We're never going to run out of courses to teach. And even if they cover the same material, I mean, does the fact that you have an entrepreneurship podcast mean that people aren't going to listen to Tim Conley's podcast? No, because we want to hear both perspectives. You know, it's not like, oh, that's been done before. So I don't know, maybe it was just encouraging to people to know that in the world of info products, your unique value proposition is your perspective. It's not the topic area. It's not nobody's ever heard of this before. It's the way you present it. That's fascinating to me because I wrote a post a few years ago about how to play the guitar. And you'd think it's like, this is the most tired topic. Like it's probably been covered ever since the guitar was created. And that post, I think it's visited by 65,000 people a month now because I had this perspective that wasn't profound at all, but it was just like a really small one that I feel like people overrate musical talent and that they forget the cool thing about the guitar is that it's just about finger agility, really. Mm -hmm. It's like athletics for your fingers. Of course, you're going to be horrible at it because who does finger athletics? <laughs> and that was kind of my perspective. And I don't know, like I got made fun of for publishing it at the beginning because it's like, why do you even bother? Everybody's written about that. So I guess that's my way of relating to what you're saying. Like I could imagine a world in which I could turn that into a business. Right, exactly. And I think a lot of people don't see it because you can't see what's natural to you. I mean, your own way of expressing your thoughts, it's so ingrained in yourself that you don't see that as a differential, right? I mean, you wrote what you thought. Right. You weren't trying to make something special or whatever, but other people were like, huh, I never considered that. And so I guess that's why you're getting 65,000 visitors a month. That's pretty impressive, Dan. Yeah, it's the single most successful thing that I've done on the internet, and it's completely irrelevant. But at least it's helped people play the guitar, which is pretty awesome. So check that out. Right. What have you been up to? Because it's been about a year and a half since you've been on the show. So like, how has Espresso English evolved? The last time I was on the show, I believe, was November 2014. So a little over a year ago. And since then... A couple of things have happened. One is that Espresso English has reached the original income goals that I started out with. Nice. The other thing that's happened is that in the past year, I did not launch any new courses. The only thing I launched was a recurring monthly membership program, which we can maybe dive into a little bit later. But it was kind of a different year for me because in the past, a lot of my revenue spikes came from launches. You know, I would launch something, get a huge, you know, influx of sales, and then I'd leave it up, you know, because my products are all evergreen. But I was really curious to see if the business would grow even without creating new products and constantly putting them out there. And it did grow about 50% between 2014 in 2015. So I'm pretty happy with that. And what were the engines that led to the growth? Because traditionally you were basically relying on your time, I suppose, to make the new courses. So what drove the growth this year? Honestly, I think it was more just the natural process of continuing to, I still publish content on the blog and on the YouTube channel every week, still email a newsletter every week. And I think it's just that organic process of picking up more and more fans, subscribers. I mean, traffic has grown. My email list has grown. It's now up at about 75,000. And so I think it's just that slow, natural growth. I mean, the content is good and people talk about it with their friends in English class and they tell their teacher and the teacher tells 
other students. And so it's just, it's nothing I've done specifically. I've just kept the content engine going and it's just been slowly growing. Your revenue levels are quite healthy and your profitability is strong because you're selling info products, which is one of the greatest things about them. Why haven't you hired that English teacher in Brazil and said, look, I'm going to plug you into this system and just have them respond to your customers and potentially fuel more growth? You know, part of it is I just felt like I haven't needed to yet. The volume of email is about, I mean, I do it about a half hour a day, but I'm pretty fast. It's a lot of email, but I've really systematized and I've got, you know, filters and canned responses and all that. And I've kind of organized my business so that I only do the things I enjoy doing. So I do enjoy email, even though sometimes I feel like I can't take a break from it. I enjoy helping solve people's problems and I enjoy content production. And those are really the only two things that I do. And that's all that's needed to maintain the business. So that's part of the reason I haven't hired. And the other reason is one change I've made this year is I've been manually tracking my time in Excel. And I know there are automatic time trackers and stuff, rescue time, I use it too. But when I manually track my time, like I will open a spreadsheet and I will put in, this is my starting time. And when I'm finished with my work, I will open the spreadsheet again. I'll put in, this is my ending time. And I'll make a note of what I worked on. It's actually helped me to see that I don't spend that much time on the business. It's just spread out across the whole day. And that's why sometimes it feels like a lot. You mentioned to me that you weren't aggressively pursuing growth. I always find this fascinating because it's so easy to just want to be more, more, more. What's your thinking behind that? Yeah, this is a big change for me. So like I mentioned earlier, Espresso English has reached the original goals I had for it. And so now what I'm doing is I'm going back and improving all of my products. You know, I really produced my products fast. I mean, we're talking 13 courses in three years. It was pretty fast. And now I'm kind of going back and being a little more perfectionistic, fixing things, improving, tweaking. This is kind of the, I think you mentioned on a previous episode, like the craftsman type model where you're really taking care to produce the best thing possible. Now that I have a solid revenue stream, I feel like now I can go back and make all those improvements that also based on student feedback to really make the courses the best that they can be. And so I've got my making a living squared away. And now I can do the enjoyable part of really perfecting and improving the products. I feel that definitely with DC as well. It's like a similar mindset. Like the last thing in my mind is like trying to get more people to join up. It's always about, I want to go back and refine it, recraft it, rethink it. I can relate to that quite a bit. Those new videos, did they hit in January? I'm going to confess something to you. I didn't use them. Really? Okay. And so I was reading about your business and I saw that you went to this really nice room. You got a professional to record you. You were lit up really nice. And what happened? I ultimately was not satisfied with the audio in the final product. And, you know, this is partly my fault. The videographer had me test the audio and I listened in the studio and it sounded okay. But I don't know, when I compare the audio with my microphone, the same one I'm using right now, and the audio that came out of the video recording, I honestly would rather have better audio than better video. Ideally, I'd like to have both. And I do still plan on refilming my courses, but that's why I never ended up using that previous batch. That must have been such a hard decision for you because it was quite the investment, right? It was, but, you know, it was a learning experience. And I mean, in my second year of business, I invested a few thousand dollars in Google ads and Facebook never went anywhere and were ultimately unprofitable. I've always been kind of conservative with my investments. And so I never, you know, throw my entire year's profit into a big bet, you know, Hail Mary type thing. So, you know, it was a shame to have not been able to use them, but it was also my choice, right? I'm a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to the quality and I was okay with giving up that investment. 
Now, you know, a lot of times, Ian, we talk about on the show, like, chucking money at stuff. First off, it's hard to do. Okay, it's both things. It's hard and it's easy to do. Yeah. I think, you know, Shana made the right choice here to initially invest in this because I like the idea of putting cash back into your business where it's working. And if Shana's selling videos, then to me, it makes sense to reinvest in that video quality, even though it didn't ultimately work out for her. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say that's the number one place as a small business owner that you can have the best return on your money is within your business. Right. Because a lot of people, what they do is they want to take money and do something new, do something different, diversify. It sounded to me like what Shana was doing. She was refocusing. Let's find out what works. Let's put more energy and resources into that. And the cool thing about spending money in your business is it's essentially a write-off, right? So like when it goes bad, you get to write it off as a loss. When it goes good, you get to see profits. And so I think generally speaking these days, like I'm a lot more aggressive about spending money in my business than I was in the beginning. Because you don't see it as every dollar going to your personal bottom line. I think in a lot of these small businesses, that's kind of the confliction that happens within your own mind is like, well, if I spend $5,000 to make newer, or better videos, like that could go directly in my pocket. I'm not sure what the upside is. So I think it's a lot harder depending on the scale that you're at. But the scale that I think we're at, Dan, is we're into checking money back in our businesses. So it sounded like to me like what Shana was really doing was refocusing on what works and maybe even more importantly, what wasn't going to work in her business. Yeah, let's jump back to Shana here because she started discussing some of the things that weren't working in her business and how she was investing her time in those issues by refocusing on the things that were working. One of the things I started realizing is people were getting a bit confused. You know, there's more than a dozen products as to which one they should take or which one they should start with, which one might be best for them. And I realized that if I were to continue and to have, you know, two dozen, three dozen, 50 courses, that problem was only going to get worse, right? It's this too much choice. So I thought, okay, let me try and think of a way to still grow my business and offer new content without constantly launching new products. And what I came up with was this monthly subscription product. The holy grail of info marketing. That's right, which I decided to <laughs> shut down and cut off after 10 months. And I'll tell you why. My other courses are all kind of divided up by topic. I have a course on vocabulary. I have one on pronunciation. I have one on business English. And the idea behind the monthly subscription was that it was going to be all in one, kind of a, your comprehensive English learning program. I launched it. I got over 100 people to sign up. But I realized that it was mostly my super fans. It was those people who I think would buy anything I produce just because they love my methodology and they identify with me as a teacher. And I noticed that after the launch, nobody was signing up when it was not a launch period. And I thought, hmm, that's not a good sign because with my other courses, people sign up during the launch, but they continue to sign up afterwards. I realized two things. One was that recurring billing is kind of a hard sell. Someone pointed out to me that learning languages already takes a long time. And it's kind of nice when you can take a course and finish it and say, I finished, I accomplished something. And when you sell recurring billing, it's kind of like this process will never end. Right. It's almost demotivating <laughs> in a sense. And the other problem, that I believe was the case is that my value proposition for this program was just too general. I mean, I just called it like the general English learning program. That's really not very specific and not very enticing, right, to sign up. And so after 10 months, I realized that about 80% of my time and my best creative energy were going towards these lessons that only a tiny fraction of my audience were taking. And I just decided to shut it down. 
Right. And that's interesting too, because if you do have a recurring billing product, that can be one of the benefits is that you're incentivized to keep working on it. But if you're not having new people come through the door, then it, it is not a great use of your time. Compare that to me with like one of the competing courses that you have in your catalog in terms of pricing. The normal price was $30 a month, but for the special launch period, people could get in at $20 a month and keep that price throughout the duration of their membership. So there was an early bird discount, basically, incentive to sign up. I wonder what would happen if you would have charged like $350 for lifetime access. So like 10 months up front. You know, there was a yearly option. I had either $20 for month by month or $200 for the year. And a decent number of people took the yearly option. So essentially what you're saying, right? Right. They pay for the whole year up front. But because this membership depended on me producing continually new content, that's what trip me up because it wasn't just access to a fixed set of lessons that never changes. It was they expected to receive a new lesson every week, which is what I promised to produce. And that was what ultimately led to the decision to shut it down. I just couldn't keep it up at the quality I wanted to. Was it tricky to communicate a product shutdown? Because, you know, most products do fail. So how did you go to your customers and communicate that? I was so nervous about this. Honestly, the month to month people, I was less nervous about because I just said, you know, hey, you know, although a lot of people have really been enjoying these lessons, let me try and think of the wording I used. I think I said that enrollment or engagement had been low and I needed to focus my efforts on other new products or other new initiatives and that I would, you know, cancel the recurring billing. Now, the yearly people I had a problem with because I was going to need to give them a partial refund since they had paid for a whole year and I'd only delivered 10 months. So what I did is I offered them a choice. I said, you can either use your $45 worth of credit to get another course, which I will happily activate on your account for free, or I can send you $45 via PayPal. You know, just let me know which one. And people were very gracious. You know, a lot of people said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear this because I did enjoy these lessons. But nobody was angry. Nobody got out the pitchforks. And people appreciated the clear communication, right, and my offer to compensate for the unfulfilled part of the program. And so I was a lot more nervous about it. It actually ended up being not as bad. My students were very gracious. It seems like you've developed this audience that appreciates your style. Why don't you have like that platinum product that your biggest fans can pay much higher dollar values to get something different? Why don't you have something that's like $500? Well, part of it is because that would probably involve my personal involvement, like me giving one-on-one classes or me giving one-on-one coaching, English coaching or group coaching. And I just don't want to do it. Right. I have no interest in giving private one-on-one classes. And so you're right. Probably a lot of people would be super excited about a level like that, but it doesn't fit with what I want for my lifestyle. And so I'm just not planning on doing it. That's interesting. I feel similarly because I find coaching people to be really difficult work and really time consuming. And so it would be hard for me to think of a price point, you know, especially because the opportunity cost is then you discontinue the instructing, which is creating courses, putting out things that can scale. In some ways, it can be a potentially bad financial decision to create products that are going to demand more of your time if they're going to prevent you from creating more scalable courses that can be evergreen for years. 
coaching or one-on-one teaching was always kind of my backup plan. Like if I ever found myself really scrapped for cash that I would say, hey guys, you know, conversation lessons available this month only. And that would be kind of my plan B if I ever got into a pinch. But now that Espresso English is kind of humming along at a nice income level, I don't feel that pressure to grow. I don't feel that I got to make more money. I got to make more money. Now it's more about how can this business fit with my desired lifestyle and do I want to grow it further or do I want to kind of maintain it while I maybe look into other projects. Speaking of backup plans, do you have any thoughts about that? Like the level of security that you enjoy on a day-to-day basis? Do you feel like you're in a precarious situation or do you feel secure? Oh, I feel secure, but it definitely took a while for me to get to this point. So for the first nearly three years of my business, I was also working, doing some freelance client work part time. And basically that paid the basic bills. That was my survival money while I could focus on building up the business. And so that was an ideal way to do it. Quite honestly, it was essentially a part time job that I had, which covered my living expenses here in Brazil and enabled me to work on growing the business without being afraid to take a misstep and without being kind of desperate to get that cash flow as fast as possible. One thing that's changed since we last talked is that you've been presenting at DC events, you've been helping other DCers grow their info product businesses. How has that changed your experience of being in the DC? Well, that's interesting because, you know, I'll be honest with you, I was a bit nervous before my first live DC event because I felt like everyone else already knew each other from these live events and I hadn't been at any of them. And I felt like I would be the outsider coming in and being all awkward. (laughs) I mean, I'm an introvert, so this is a real concern, right? But as soon as I walked in, I saw some familiar faces and started chatting with people and I just felt like I fit to have great conversations. Everyone in the DC has a really interesting life story, right? Because most people have not followed the typical script or they've made some interesting, different, bold moves in their lives. And so it was very, very easy to get integrated. And now I feel like I have a richer experience both offline at the events as well as online on the forums because I've interacted with and hung out with folks in real life. Yeah, I just wanted to thank Shana for her great talks. I mean, I've taken notes on her strategies and implemented them myself. So they've been useful to me and certainly to many others. In fact, I asked her about one of the strategies that had the biggest impact in her business. So I have focused mostly on getting people to purchase multiple products. So for example, after someone buys a course, after 30 to 45 days, they get a follow-up email that A, asks them for feedback on the course that they've took, even if they haven't quite finished yet. I kind of express my hope that it's been helping them and tell them to email me if they have any questions. And I also provide kind of a choose-your-own-adventure for how to continue your study. So okay, if you're finished with the pronunciation course, what should you do next? And of course, those are three more options for my own course catalog. And so it's a way that a customer isn't just left hanging after they make a purchase. I have an automated email that goes out and encourages them, affirms their progress, and also shows them maybe the next course they should buy. That's one of the strategies. All of my products are in the under $50 range. And, you know, to be honest, they probably could be priced higher. However, recently I did a collaborative promotion with some other English teachers. The person who organized it was another DCer, Gabby Wallace. And she organized basically six or seven of us, all of whom sell info products in English teaching. And we basically did a package sale. So we all donated a product. The combined value of the products was like $400 and we slashed the price 
price to 97 and we all promoted it to our own lists and it was only available for a week following Black Friday. Now, that was really successful. That was an amazing experience. However, I was interested to see that not as many people bought the $97 product. It was a harder sell at $97, even with this giant discount in the time limit. And I realized that if I were to raise my prices to the $100 range, I would have to do a lot of pressure every month in order to get those sales. Because I think when you're selling B2C, once you get up past $50, it's not an impulse purchase anymore. People have to think about it a bit more and the marketer has to push it a bit more. And I realized that I didn't want that to be doing that every single month for all of my courses. So that's why I kept my courses under $50. This sort of promotion where you get with people in your niche, I've seen it happen in a lot of different niches. What did you learn about that process? Did you have any misgivings going into it? Well, I was just nervous about the time because the idea came up and we had like a month to organize it. And I was wondering if it would all come together in time. But Gabby did a fantastic job as the organizer. And I really enjoyed the experience because it was a way for me to offer new products to my students, which weren't mine. You know, it was just products from other teachers. I think everyone did a good job of marketing it. I did a pretty heavy email campaign and got quite a few sales. I think it was a phenomenal success. And the only thing that can make it better is just getting more people involved, more affiliates for the next time around. And we're already planning one for maybe the 4th of July. Very cool. So speaking of plans, what's 2016 look like besides meticulously tracking your Reddit time? (laughs) (laughs) So this year will have a big change in that my husband and I are moving from Brazil to the United States. We've been here for six years and he went to college, finished college. We've traveled around a little bit, you know, mainly 2015. And now this is kind of a dream that I've had for the past seven years we've been together is to bring him to the U.S. And we're going to go and and see what kind of opportunities we can make for ourselves there. That's so cool. And how about the business? When you sit down every day, like what's your mindset? Do you have any kind of goals in place or is it just to keep going, keep improving the quality and keep getting products to your customers? You know, I try not to project too far ahead because at the moment I'm enjoying it. I don't know where I'll be in five or 10 years if I'll just be so sick of teaching grammar that I just want to, you know, give it all up. But for now, I'm still enjoying it. And right now, what I love about it is it's at a point where I can maintain it while possibly being heavily involved in another project. So for example, my husband's caught the entrepreneurial bug a little bit. And so maybe he'll want to start his own business. And so now I can maintain Espresso English while maybe helping support him in whatever he decides to do. So that's a cool place to be in for now. Tell me how it was when you finally took your husband to meet all of your internet friends. Like, did his (laughs) perception change radically of what this opportunity was for him? Well, he was a little bit shy because he's still working on his English. Over the past four years, he has kind of gone from skeptical, you know, is this blog thing really going to make any money, to, hey, this is kind of working, but is it stable enough to support us, to this is actually really awesome, and now I don't (laughs) want to work for anybody else either. I want to do my own thing. And so I'm kind of like, yes, you know, he's a convert. (laughs) It's been just really a slow kind of natural progress as he's seen what's happened with Espresso English and kind of opened his eyes to the possibilities and the benefits. (laughs) 
you know, I love having people back on the show to see how much progress they've made. It seems like Shana's learned a lot about, you know, how to evolve her business and keep it strong. And I love that she does it in her own way. By the way, we're going to be posting all the links and stuff we mentioned in this episode at tropicalmba.com slash Shana. Why not? Why not? We can have recurring guests like the Howard Stern Show. You know, people come back. They become characters. You got your own couch over here or your own URL. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we start an index. Every Shana episode is tropicalmedia.com slash Shana. I joked with Shana after the call about drinking the entrepreneurial Kool-Aid, you know? Mm-hmm. The fact that you can like live with somebody and they can be like, you're crazy. Yeah, other people might think that you're, you know, they're listening to Shana on the podcast saying, oh, I got to do what this woman's doing is amazing. I'm going to model my life after her. And then the person that's right there is just like, I don't know. I don't know. This is the story of my life, man. The people closest to me are generally the ones that, well, can see my bullshit, yes, or don't want to participate. Hey, you know, one other piece of exciting news. Shane is actually starting her own podcast, and it's going to be called Entrepreneurs in Motion. The site's live. Go give her a follow, and I'm curious to see what she comes up with. And do you think she's going to invite you on the show? Oh, I don't know. Now that I basically said that I have no interest in learning languages, <laughs> probably not. Thanks again to Shana for coming back, occupying her spot on the couch here at the podcast. Boss man, your spot on the couch is well-worn, I'd say, at this time. Yeah, I'm one of those characters at the Stern Show who's got some kind of deficiency. You know? <laughs> <laughs> if you have a story or a topic that you'd like to hear Ian and myself cover on this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. We have a producer. You can email her, jane at tropicalmba.com, and we will definitely discuss it. We're always looking for cool stuff to have on the pod. Send us the dirt. Send us the yeah, dirt. Send us the dirt. <laughs> We want to dig in. We got to get a hotline. (laughs) (laughs) All right, boss man. I'll see you next week. See ya. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.